book first chapter one of a day of fate by edward p rowe this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by like many waters a day of fate by edward p rowe book first chapter one aimless steps another month's work will knock morton into pie was a remark that caught my ear as i fumed from the composing-room back to my private office i had just irately blamed a printer for a blunder of my own and the words i overheard reminded me of the unpleasant truth that i had recently made a great many senseless blunders over which i chafed in merciless self-condemnation for weeks and months my mind had been tense under the strain of increasing work and responsibility it was my nature to become absorbed in my tasks and as a night editor of a prominent city journal i found a limitless field for labor it was true i could have jogged along under the heavy burden with comparatively little wear and loss but impelled by both temperament and ambition i was trying to maintain a racer's speed from casual employment as a reporter i had worked my way up to my present position and the tireless activity and alertness required to win and hold such a place was seemingly degenerating into a nervous restlessness which permitted no repose of mind or rest of body i worked when other men slept but instead of availing myself of the right to sleep when the world was awake i yielded to an increasing tendency to wakefulness and read that i might be informed on the endless variety of subjects occupying public attention the globe was becoming a vast hunting-ground around which my thoughts ranged almost unceasingly that i might capture something new striking or original for the benefit of our paper each day the quest had grown more eager and as the hour for going to press approached i would become even feverish in my intense desire to send the paper out with a breezy newsy aspect and would be elated if at the last moment material was flashed in that would warrant startling headlines and correspondingly depressed if the weary old world had a few hours of quiet and peace to make the paper go every faculty i possessed was in the harness the aside i had just overheard suggested at least one very probable result in printer's jargon i would soon be in pie the remark combined with my stupid blunder for which i had blamed an innocent man caused me to pull up and ask myself whither i was hurrying so breathlessly saying to my assistant that i did not wish to be disturbed for a half hour unless it was essential i went to my little inner room i wished to take a mental inventory of myself and see how much was left hitherto i had been on the keen run a condition not favorable to introspection neither my temperament nor the school in which i had been trained inclined me to slow deliberate processes of reasoning i looked my own case over as i might that of some brother editors whose journals were draining them of life and whose obituaries i shall probably write if i survive them reason and conscience now that i gave them a chance began to take me to task severely you are a blundering fool said reason and the man in the composing-room is right you are chafing over petty blunders while ignoring the fact that your whole present life is a blunder and the adequate reason why your faculties are becoming untrustworthy each day you grow more nervously anxious to have everything correct giving your mind to endless details and your powers are beginning to snap like the overstrained strings of a violin 
at this rate you will soon spend yourself and all there is of you then conscience like an irate judge on the bench arraigned me you are a heathen and your paper is your car of juggernaut you are ceasing to be a man and becoming merely an editor no not even an editor a newsmonger one of the world's gossips you are an athenian only as you wish to hear and tell some new thing long ears are becoming the appropriate symbols of your being you are too hurried too eager for temporary success too taken up with details to form calm philosophical opinions of the great events of your time and thus be able to shape men's opinions you commenced as a reporter and are a reporter still you pride yourself that you are not narrow unconscious of the truth that you are spreading yourself thinly over the mere surface of affairs you have little comprehension of the deeper forces and motives of humanity it is true that i might have pleaded in extenuation of these rather severe judgments that i was somewhat alone in the world living in bachelor apartments without the redeeming influences of home and family life there were none whose love gave them the right or the motive to lay a restraining hand upon me and my associates in labor were more inclined to applaud my zeal than to curb it thus it had been left to the casual remark of a nameless printer and an instance of my own failing powers to break the spell that ambition and habit were weaving before the half-hour elapsed i felt weak and ill the moment i had relaxed the tension and will-power which i had maintained so long reaction set in apparently i had about reached the limits of endurance i felt as if i were growing old and feeble by minutes as one might by years taking my hat and coat i passed out remarking to my assistant that he must do the best he could that i was ill and would not return if the journal had never appeared again i could not then have written a line to save it or read another proof saturday morning found me feverish unrefreshed and more painfully conscious than ever that i was becoming little better than the presses on which the paper was printed depression inevitably follows weariness and exhaustion and one could scarcely take a more gloomy view of himself than i did i will escape from this city as if it were sodom i muttered and a june day in the country will reveal whether i have a soul for anything beyond the wrangle of politics and the world's gossip in my despondency i was inclined to be reckless and after merely writing a brief note to my editorial chief saying that i had broken down and was going to the country i started almost at random after a few hours riding i wearied of the cars and left them at a small village whose name i did not care to inquire the mountains and scenery pleased me although the day was overcast like my mind and fortunes having found a quiet inn and gone through the form of a dinner i sat down on the porch in dreary apathy the afternoon aspect of the village street seemed as dull and devoid of interest as my own life at that hour and in fancy i saw myself a broken-down man lounging away days that would be like eternities going through my little round like a bit of driftwood slowly circling in an eddy of the world's great current with lacklustre eyes i looked up to the hills but no help came from them the air was close the sky leaden even the birds would not sing why had i come to the country it had no voices for me and i resolved to return to the city but while i waited my eyes grew heavy with the blessed power to sleep a boon from which i then felt that i would travel to the ultima thule leaving orders that i should not be disturbed i went to my room 
and nature took the tired man as if he were a weary child into her arms at last i imagined that i was at the academy of music and that the orchestra were tuning their instruments for the overture a louder strain than usual caused me to start up and i saw through the open window a robin on a maple bough with its tuneful throat swelled to the utmost this was the leader of my orchestra and the whole country was alive with musicians each one giving out its own notes without any regard for the others but apparently the score had been written for them all since the innumerable strains made one divine harmony from the full-orbed song from the maple by my window down to the faintest chirp and twitter there was no discord while from the fields beyond the village the whistle of the meadow-larks was so mellowed and softened by distance as to incline one to wonder whether their notes were real or mere ideals of sound for a long time i was serenely content to listen to the myriad voiced chords without thinking of the past or future at last i found myself idly querying whether nature did not so blend all out-of-door sounds as to make them agreeable when suddenly a catbird broke the spell of harmony by its flat discordant note instead of my wonted irritation at anything that jarred upon my nerves i laughed as i sprang up saying that cry reminds me that i am in the body and in the same old world that catbird is near akin to the croaking printer but my cynicism was now more assumed than real and i began to wonder at myself the change of air and scene had seemingly broken a malign influence and sleep that for weeks had almost forsaken me had yielded its deep refreshment for fifteen hours besides i had not sinned against my life so many years as to have destroyed the elasticity of early manhood when i had laid down to rest i had felt myself to be a weary broken aged man had i in my dreams discovered the fountain of youth and unconsciously bathed in it in my rebound toward health of mind and body i seemed to have realized what the old spaniard vainly hoped for i dressed in haste eager to be out in the early june sunshine there had been a shower in the night and the air had a fine exhilarating quality in contrast with the close sultriness of the previous afternoon instead of nibbling at breakfast while i devoured the morning dailies i ate a substantial meal and only thought of papers to bless their absence and then walked down to the village street with the quick glad tread of one whose hope and zest in life had been renewed fragrant june roses were opening on every side and it appeared to me that all the sin of man could not make the world offensive to heaven that morning i wished that some of the villagers whom i met were more in accord with nature's moods but in view of my own shortcomings and still more because of my fine physical condition i was disposed toward a large charity and yet i could not help wondering how some that i saw could walk among their roses and still look so glum and matter-of-fact i felt as if i could kiss every velvet petal you were unjust i charged back on conscience this morning proves that i am not an ingrained newsmonger there is still man enough left within me to revive at nature's touch and i exultantly quickened my steps until i had left the village miles away before the morning was half gone i learned how much of my old vigor had ebbed for i was growing weary early in the day therefore i paused before a small gray building old and weather-stained that seemed neither a barn nor a dwelling nor a schoolhouse a man was in the act of unlocking the door and his garb suggested that it might be a friend's meeting-house 
yielding to an idle curiosity i mounted a stone wall at a point where i was shaded and partially screened by a tree and watched and waited beguiling the time with a branch of sweetbriar that hung over my resting-place soon strong open wagons and rockaways began to appear drawn by sleek plump horses that often seemingly were gayer than their drivers still there was nothing sour in the aspect or austere in the garb of the people their quiet appearance took my fancy amazingly and the peach-like bloom on the cheeks of even well-advanced matrons suggested a serene and quiet life these are the people of all others with whom i would like to worship to-day i thought and i hoped that the rotund old lady whose face beams under the shadow of her deep bonnet like a harvest moon through a fleecy cloud will feel moved to speak i plucked a few buds from the sweetbriar bush fastened them in my buttonhole and promptly followed the old lady into the meeting-house having found a vacant pew i sat down and looked around with serene content but i soon observed that something was amiss for the men-folk looked at each other and then at me at last an elderly and substantial friend with a face so flushed and round as to suggest a baldwin apple arose and creaked with painful distinctness to where i was innocently infringing on one of their customs if thee will follow me friend he said i'll give thee a seat with the men-folks thee's welcome and thee'll feel more at home to follow our ways his cordial grasp of my hand would have disarmed suspicion itself and i followed him meekly in my embarrassment and desire to show that i had no wish to appear forward i persisted in taking a side seat next to the wall and quite near the door for my guide in order to show his good will and to atone for what might seem rudeness was bent on marshalling me almost up to the high seats that faced the congregation where sat my rubicund old friend lady whose aspect betokened that she had just the gospel message i needed at once i noted that these staid and decorous people looked straight before them in an attitude of quiet expectancy a few little children turned on me their round curious eyes but no one else stared at the blundering stranger whose modish coat with a sprig of wild roses in its buttonhole made him rather a conspicuous contrast to the other men-folk and i thought here certainly is an example of good breeding which could scarcely be found among other christians if one of these friends should appear in the most fashionable church on the avenue he would be well stared at but even here the children are receiving admonitory nudges not to look at me i soon felt that it was not the thing to be the only one who was irreverently looking around and my good fortune soon supplied ample motive for looking steadily in one direction the reader may justly think that i should have composed my mind to meditation on my many sins but i might as well have tried to gather in my hands the reins of all the wild horses of arabia as to curb and manage my errant thoughts my only chance was for some one or something to catch and hold them for me if that old friend lady would preach i was sure she would do me good as it was her face was an antidote to the influences of the world in which i dwelt but i soon began to dream that i had found a still better remedy for at a fortunate angle from my position there sat a young quakeress whose side face arrested my attention and held it by leaning a little against the wall as well as the back of my bench i also well content could look straight before me like the others the fair profile was but slightly hidden by a hat that had a perceptible leaning toward the world in its character 
but the brow was only made to seem a little lower and her eyes deepened in their blue by its shadow my sweet briar blossoms were not more delicate in their pink shadings than was the bloom on her rounded cheek and the white firm chin denoted an absence of weakness and frivolity the upper lip from where i sat seemed one half of cupid's bow i could but barely catch a glimpse of a ripple of hair that perhaps had not been smoothed with sufficient pains and thus seemed in league with a slightly worldly bonnet in brief to my kindled fancy her youth and loveliness appeared the exquisite human embodiment of the june morning with its alternations of sunshine and shadow its roses and their fragrance of its abounding yet untarnished and beautiful life no one in the meeting seemed moved save myself but i felt as if i could become a poet a painter and even a lover under the inspiration of that perfect profile end of book first chapter one